I have a green light now, and there it is. Good morning. So this uh, assembly here, it represents the ones who are not brave enough to go out to the winter retreat. So, right. Um, I went once. That was actually the only time I ever went as a camper. And uh, that, was a, that was over 30 years ago. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for waking us this morning, allowing us to wake, giving us another day, and, and letting us find our way here. Father, we come here to, to learn about you and to pray, praise you, and Father, to, to be more like you, and that is... That is so amazing that you would, would call us to your side to, to see what you have put down in front of us in your word and, and to allow that to be written on our hearts and, and affect our minds and our lives. And Father, we just pray that we will be receptive to what you would have us learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For anyone who is just joining this study. Uh, we've been in the book of Judges. And uh, last week was uh, chapter 6, and I had hoped to get into ch- chapter 7, but we'll, we'll cover that today. The book of Judges, um, I'll just read um, an excerpt of chapter 2, um, starting in verse 16. Then the Lord raised up Judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. As long as the judge lived... As long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of the groaning under those oppressed and afflicted, uh, those oppressing and afflicting them. So God was hearing His people um, in their affliction, and and His people wouldn't listen to Him. They they weren't doing His will, and they were suffering because of it. So remember, in in chapter six, the Israelites did evil on the side of the Lord. And as a result of it, they are oppressed by many groups and, and multitudes of people. Um, mainly the, the Midianite are sent to control them and, and to, uh, to really just occupy their land and, and take advantage of them in every way. And the children of the Lord cried out. They cried out to the Lord and God heard them. And his response to this crying out is that he contacts and goes and visits Gideon. As you remember, the, the angel of the Lord visits Gideon um, in a, a wine press, 
as he's threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord be with you, you mighty man of valor. And he's surprised, isn't he? He doesn't, he doesn't think that God is with him, and he questions that, that idea. And he wasn't so sure. So he, he sets up a, a kind of a little a test. He asks the angel of the Lord to stay there. He doesn't really know who it is, but he goes and prepares a meal and brings it back to him. And if you'll remember, the, the angel of the Lord touches the rock with the staff and fire comes up out of the rock and consumes the meal and then he disappears. Gideon is, is convinced that, that he has seen the Lord now and he's, he's terrified. But God, that's not all um, God wants to tell him. He doesn't want to just say, I'm with you. He has, he has instruction for him and he sees the potential in Gideon to save the people from their oppressors. But Gideon gives excuses. He continues to doubt um, his worth and, and his abilities. And he, he says things to the Lord like, I'm from the weakest clan and I'm the least of my family. And, and it is known that he's not a leader or a man of providence, but, but we talked about how God chooses people differently. And he sees our potential Gideon is told to tear down the, ba- the altar to Baal in their, in their city. And he does this. And he, he does this daringly with, with a group of servants from his household. They tear this, this altar down at night. And he does it. We talked about how he does it in, a, in an intelligent way, in a, in a smart way. He's not trying to cause a war within the town and he's not trying to get himself killed but he's doing what's right I'm going to continue our reading of chapter 6 because we read chapter 6 but we didn't quite finish um, the lesson there so I'm going to read the last section of Judges chapter 6 33 through 40 Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers messengers throughout all of Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, And they came up to meet him. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and if it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. 
It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So Gideon has has heard God and his instruction, but he's he's anxious and he's unsure of what's happening. He needs some reassurance. And I think we can relate to that. I think we we need reassurance too. And I, I know I feel that personally. And God knows He's He's human. He He doesn't he doesn't think the same way God does, but he's, he's learning to trust him. But God is patient with him, and, and he answers the test. He allows uh, the, the dew to fall where, where he commands it to fall. He's, he's the master of the creation, and he, he does this simple thing to encourage Gideon and to, to solidify the message that he's brought him. So in this, we can see God's patience with his people and, and with their, their weaknesses also. Um, why is he so patient with us? <laughs> why doesn't he just make us do what he wants us to do? I, th- I think you know the, question, the answer to that question, but he wants us to trust him, doesn't he? And, and he wants us to be with him in, in our, not, not just in our actions, but, but in our will and in, in our thoughts. That, that's why he is constantly working on our hearts and our minds because he wants our hearts and our minds to be with his. In, and when your heart and your mind are, are with God, then your will follows, follows that path also. We need to also notice that Gideon approaches God not with arrogance, but with humility. That's not to say that there are not accounts in the Bible of people approaching God in arrogance. There certainly are. But we need to, we need to notice this, how, how reverent he is when he comes to God with this request and he asks God not to be mad at him. He understands that he's, he's, pushing, he's pushing a little bit. But he's asking for help. And when we, yes, Stephen, go ahead. Yes. Right. It's uh, something that uh, I notice every time I'm reading passages like this where the angel of the Lord um, 
approaches someone. He does it he does it in a very gentle way as a traveler, as, as someone that, that is just coming to them to share a meal um, and bring them a message. And, and it's, a, it's a different encounter with God that's different from the mountaintop with Moses. It's, it's different. Um, God is more approachable in these times, and, and he, he's appealing to the people there that, that are, are weak and human, just like us. And how personal is it when, when someone walks up to you and, and talks to you and, and you decide to share, share a meal with them and some time? And, and you know, something that's lost, if you just skim through this, is the time that passes when these things happen. There's considerable time to, that, that it takes to go and and have your servants prepare a meal, you know, slaughter an animal and, and cook it. And, you know, they must have had a lot of time on their hands. I, it, 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 it seems so different. Um, you know, they're walking everywhere, and they ha- everything is done manually. It, it's, not, uh, it's not a matter of to opening a package and putting it in the microwave. It's, it's, it's a very different experience and, and very personal. And, and it's also very generous, um, there's, we're just a wash in food here, and we, and we don't have to work very hard for it. Um, relatively, you know, our, our our physical efforts are are elsewhere. We we do things, we do manual labor, but but it, it we're really just a wash in food and and nourishment here. But in the desert, it's different. And, you know, these animals have to be have to be cared for, and they have to be nurtured and. And they're very valuable. But God is, has approached Gideon, and Gideon, his response is, I need a little help, and God's willing to do that. And again, why does God want to do that? It's because he, he wants everyone to be with him. He, he wants us all to be saved, doesn't he? Have a, uh, a list of verses that I need to find. Second Peter three and nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Before we read chapter 7, I wanted to tell a short story um, that came to mind this week as I was driving around thinking about the lesson. <clears throat> Often in the Old Testament, we see God's people asking for signs and giving ultimatums even. They say, God, if you do this, then I will do that. And God often obliges them, doesn't he? Excuse me. And he does what they ask often. And sometimes the people even hold up their end of the bargain. But right now, in this age, knowing 
what he has revealed to us. You and I have so much more of the picture of God's plan, don't we? There's no more to be written um, except what, what plays out in our lives as his people. And we understand that God does not owe us anything, and, and we should be very careful about if-then statements. God, if you do this, I will do that. Or, God, just do this for me, and, and I'll be convinced. But we're tempted to do that, aren't we? Sometimes. We're human. We're just like Gideon. We, we know there are, there are things that we should be doing for God, and, and maybe we're a little bit unsure about them, and Sometimes we ask God to do things, to convince us to do those things, or sometimes there are, there are things going on in our lives that we don't like, and we want God to do something about it. Years ago, I was working with a painter. This is like 25 years ago, at least. And we were high up on a lift, like three stories up on this snorkel lift with a, a, a cage around us. Day after day, we were... We were painting this building, and uh, he couldn't go anywhere. I was right there, so naturally I started talking about Jesus. And I told him what God meant to me and about our church here, and I invited him to church, and um, this man told me that over some time that his mother was very sick, and he was very worried about her. And he said to me, Maury, I tell you what, I'll pray that God heals my mother, and if she gets well, I'll come to your church. And he never came. Human beings often want physical proof. Our statements and our mindset rather ought to be, because, Lord, I will then, because you have done this for me, Lord, I will do this for you. Because you have saved me to the fullest, I will live my life for you. Because you have forgiven me, I will forgive others. 1 John 4.19 is, we love him because he first loved us. We should not be asking for signs in an arrogant way. We should let our lives be the sign that we believe that God has already done the utmost for us. So, so let us be convinced in our walk that God has done these things and, and let our lives show it. That, that should be something that's on our minds all the time. Let's go ahead and read chapter 7 and we'll go on with the, the lesson for that. Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 
But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him to separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dog laps water from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands that all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I, have, I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, and listen to what they are saying. After your, afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Malachites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend, his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then, from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the wa- middle watch. Just after they changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to, the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah, toward Zerara as far as the border of Abel-Mehola, near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. 
Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured They also captured two Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. <coughs> Excuse me. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. So Gideon is instructed to go down against them. And he is he's instructed to thin out his men. How many did he start with? Well, initially 32,000? 32,000 men. Again, this is like, I think of the time that it takes to assemble this army. This is happening over a long period of time. How long does it take for 32,000 men to assemble? Like 15 minutes, maybe? No. It's like, (laughs) they're they're, there encamped nearby, and, and they're they're not far from their enemy. Um, they're in walking distance from their enemy. So God has, has Gideon assemble this army, and then he instructs him to thin them out. And they're going, remember, they're going against a multitude that is described as numerous as locusts. And in you're no more able to count them than the sand of the seashore. These scenes make my problems seem very insignificant, don't they? Could you imagine that being called to do something like, even with your 32,000? Um, so what does God say? Is, is anyone, anyone here scared? He, he instructs Gideon to tell his men that if anyone is scared to go, then they can leave. So how many leave? 22,000 men leave. So 10,000 are remaining. Uh, Stephen writes, uh, with good planning and leadership, you can attack a camp, and with 10,000, you can do damage. That's a good number, right? 10,000. I wonder if Gideon thought he was done. I'm sure he did. He's like, okay, we're going to do this with 10,000, with your help, Lord. But God has a different thing in mind. He, he, wants to, he wants to handicap the situation even further. Um, and why is he doing this? Why is God paring down the number? Yeah, he, he wants to prove that he's in control. And, and you know, God doesn't need to prove anything to anyone, but he wants us to be convinced He's doing it for us. It's because he is making us weak and accomplishing his goal so that we can see that we are weak and that we need him. 
and that, and that what is accomplished is through him. You know, um, verse 7 and 2 says, he's doing this lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. <clears throat> we talked about this uh, last Sunday, but God does not lead us into a prideful state. He does not have us do things and, and send us out. He doesn't send his people out in order for them to, to take the glory for his plan. Remember, vengeance belongs to the Lord, and so does the credit for what he does. So what does this mean for us? We, we're not facing a multitude that can't be counted. You know, most of us. Some of us have faced very, very scary things in times of war and conflict. And, and maybe, um, maybe there are just in, seemingly insurmountable problems in your life, but when God gives you help, we need to be careful to give him the glory for that help. We, we don't want to look back and think, oh, wow, look what I did. I was able to get through that. I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I was, and I, I'm better than I thought I was. Well, you, you might be stronger now, but it's not because of you, Stephen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Stephen's saying, I'm a, I'm a stronger person because of God. What I've been through, um, you've heard the expression, a self-made man. Well, there's, there's no such thing. Uh, God makes us who he wants us to be, and, and it's up to us to allow him to do that and to give him the glory for it. Stephen had uh, written down a, uh, another verse here that I'll share Acts twelve twenty one. Um, I'll, I'll just describe it. Herod was wearing his royal robes and making a decree to his people and puffed up with pride. And the people exclaim, these are not the words of man. These are the words of God. And what happened to Herod? So, anyone remember? Right, right then, he was consumed by worms. Not, not a good day. Not, yeah, Scott. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. For, for those of you online who weren't able to hear, Scott was saying that um, it's, we, we see the Israelites forgetting 
um, what God's done for them time and time again. And we need to make sure that we don't look back at our lives and, and see what we've accomplished and, and forget that God got us through those times also. Whether they're good or bad, God influenced um, either our success or, or our deliverance from whatever we're in. So it, it's, it's not just before us. It's also in retrospect as we examine our life. So Herod did not give God the glory. Um, so in, in verse 7, 4 and 8, God thins them further. They go down to the stream to see how they drink from the water. You know, I'd always been confused about this verse um, because I thought that the, when I, when I had read it before, you, you know, time and time again, I thought that dogs would get down on their knees or, or lap the water from the stream. But the ones that are drinking like dogs are cupping the water up to their hands and lapping it with their tongues. And I hadn't understood that. And I thought, oh my gosh, is that, why did he choose them based on that? Is that, is that a more humble way to drink, I guess, when, when you're acting like a dog? I suppose it is. I mean, he's, he's trying to, to take, um, take this, this army and get them into a humble state and, and a handicapped state of some kind that, that they are, there's no possible way. So I don't know what kind of uh, social... Yeah, it's... Uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. You, you might be more alert. Situational awareness. Um, yeah, maybe. But I, I, would, I would push back on that a little bit. I would say that I, I think this is probably an inferior group to the ones who, for some reason, I don't know. But he's, in, in this passage, he is, he is paring it down to a humble state. And uh, he, he's, it doesn't seem that he's going for the best of the best. Um, but I could be wrong. I, I like that perspective, though. That's interesting. Um, so only 300 remain. Pretty humbling, right? I think, um, I think God is probably getting through to Gideon that uh, this, this is going to be um, this is going to be God's fight and, and what's going to be accomplished is going to be through him. Nothing is impossible with God but um, what does what does God say to him right after this? He's, he says now I want you to go down and attack the camp but what does he do right, right before the, the attack? He says, if you're still not sure, just go take your servant and go down to when the guards change and listen to a conversation that's happening there. So he does this, and, and what happens? He, he hears a story of a, of a dream and the interpretation of that dream, and it encourages him. He is, God is demonstrating even right at go time, he's willing to give us just a little bit more encouragement because he wants us to be with him on this. He wants us to be fully trusting him in what he's setting us out to do. 
And so Gideon does this, and, and you can see his response. He worships God when he sees what has happened. Stephen, you had a comment. It is. His patience with Gideon and his mercy is very reassuring. That even after, even after all the, the other signs that he's shown him and, and he's, he's assembled this, this army and he's pared it down, he, he still is willing to, to comfort him and give him, give him something more to persuade him so in verse 19, they attack the camp. With torches, vases, and trumpets, they attack the camp. So how does the verse go? He who lives by the trumpet will die by the trumpet, right? <laughs> they don't even have weapons. This, this is amazing, and, and I think it shows, it shows that they had trusted God. In that in that uh, moment, and and when it was time, when it was time to get there and get the job done, they had trusted God. They followed Gideon, and they they went ahead and attacked the camp. Well, kind of. They they went down and and carried out the orders, and they they caused this chain reaction that was in God's hands, and and God allowed them to overtake overtake the camp and, and caused such chaos that they turned on each other and fled. And, and they didn't just flee for a little bit and turn around. They, they fled and, and continued going to the point where they were pursued. And, and there was time to call out other armies and, and travel in pursuit of them. Um, the last part of, uh, of this passage... It's in Judges chapter 8, actually, um, 22 and 23, that the people try to make Gideon king. Let's, let's read that, chapter 8. And this is after he has, um, he's pursuing them and, and he's communicating with the other, um, the other tribes around him. And 23. So the Gideons, so, so the Israelites said to Gideon, 
rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. I'll stop there because, unfortunately, that's, that sounds great. And, and it was the right answer. It was the right answer for Gideon. But really, these chapters 6, 7, and 8 could be called the rise and fall of Gideon. Um, because what happens next? He, is, he gathers a bunch of gold and, and he makes an idol sometime later. And it, and it says that was, a, that was a snare to him and his family. And the, and the people of Israelite of the Israelites, they prostituted themselves again. And, and so this is God, God uh, hearing their cries and their oppression and bringing someone to, to deliver them. But that person doesn't always stay with God um, 100%. It, it's, not, uh, it's not always a pretty picture at the end. But God is still patient with his people and and he still hears their cries later on and we can go on in, in this uh, in judges and see that as it plays out. So in these in these passages, in these chapters, I hope that we can see like Stephen was talking about, uh, God's patient with us, his patience with us and 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 I hope that we can be humbled by it also. And, and we can see that we are we are in danger of, of allowing ourselves to be in a prideful state because of where we are, who we are, what we've done, uh, what we've gotten through. Um, but when you get through those things and, and when you, you see what has been accomplished in your life and you give God the glory, then that's That's righteous. That, that's that's uh, where he wants us to be. He wants us to be cognizant of everything that he does for us. And, and it's, it's also good to, instead of chastising the Israelites um, for all the times that they, f- they failed, because so often the chapter will, will start with, and then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, how many times have we done evil in the sight of the Lord? We're, we're just so used to being our own, our own person and doing our own thing. And, and uh, it's real easy to, to gloss over that. And, you know, if, if human beings are, are good at anything, it's justifying their actions. And, and so where, where you find, yeah, yes, go ahead. Yeah, we do. We yeah, and we and we underestimate our badness. And and when you realize that that one comes from God and then one is taken away by, by God, it's it's a great day. Thank you for your attention and your comments. And uh that concludes our study for today.